Hey, what's up, y'all? My name is Gary, and welcome to the second season of It's Personal. Okay, good. This is going to be really dope, but I don't want any <laughs> Not at all. My name is Kwame Mbalia. I'm an author. Uh, and my debut novel was Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky. Awesome. Awesome. And I have to say, like, recently started reading um, Tristan and I've been messaging you. And then one thing, again, I love about you as an author is like you are very much interactive online. So as I'm reading the book and I'm talking about it and tweeting to you, you're commenting back, which so I appreciate that. One might say I'm online too much, but, uh, <laughs> you know, no one, nobody can say for sure except for myself. <laughs> so, Kwame, can you just tell maybe the audience just a little bit about yourself um, in regards to background, um, where you grew up, how you got to where you are today? Sure. Uh, I am, I mean, I'm a scientist. I'm here in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, but I grew up actually in the Midwest. I'm a Midwestern boy from uh, the streets of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, Grew up there with uh, my immediate family and then um, fled fled for warmer pastures, uh, went to uh, college at Howard University in Washington, D.C., fled from there for uh, cheaper pastures, and uh, that's how I ended up in, uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, always, always keeping those Midwestern roots strong, um, and, uh, like, it's I, I I don't know. Like I I feel like I am not tied down in one place. You know, I'm Midwestern, Eastern, Southern, what have you. A um, mm-hmm. little bit of little bit of jack of all trades. <laughs> That's awesome. What did your schooling look like when you were younger? My schooling, <clears throat> you know, I would say that I had a a traditional, you know, your normal, you know, grade school, elementary school, and I went to a K a K to eight school, uh, but an elementary school, high school, you know, all of that. But what I would highlight as being, you know, a little bit different is that my parents were, I mean, the term today is you would, you would say that they were um, super woke. And um, uh, I would say that they were Pan-African, meaning that they encouraged and even supplied, you know, an education that was more worldly and definitely more than what you would see in your normal uh, elementary educational system. And as an example, you know, my parents, they were part of a, um, a African-American, um, you know, organizing and uh, uh, socialist, you know, a party where they would, you know, they would meet every weekend and we would have, you know, a quote unquote Sunday school every other Sunday. Mm-hmm. But one thing they did is they would, um, they put together this calendar and on this calendar was a list of major even minor historical events that affected the African diaspora, you know, all around the wow. world or whatever. So every morning, you know, we would go up and one of us, uh, one of me and my three siblings, we would walk up to the calendar during breakfast and we would read aloud what um, something that had happened that day in history, whether it was uh, 
the birth of Frederick Douglass or whether it was um, the assassination of Patrice Lumumba, like we would read these things um, to each other. And so going through school in high school and college, like even still, like you, I was surprised, but then again, not surprised by how much was omitted or not given to us. You know, mm -hmm. uh, as far as an education goes, we learn more about, you know, the United States and its governing system and social studies and stuff like that. But we never talk about the impact or the reverse angle of that. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's just something that that's something I consider valuable in my schooling. And it's something that I try to bring forward in my writing, like mm -hmm. not writing um, from the viewpoint of someone who might be in the majority or might be in uh, considered middle or middle or upper class, upper class, but writing from the viewpoint and the perspective that challenges and interrogates, you know, those notions of who has the right to tell a story. Mm -hmm. All right, that's amazing. I can only imagine how powerful or an impact that your parents have had on like what you're doing in your work. And maybe even as um, a father or husband. And I think hopefully a little bit later on, we could talk about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I mean, I think that um, example kind of a uh, defines or, or gives a good representation of what it was like for me growing up. Um, you know, even to the point of, of eating, you know, eating healthy. I think we were we were vegan. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if my parents ever stopped being vegan, but I was vegan from uh, seventh grade to ninth grade, basically middle school. And, you know, that's a hard time to be different. You know, that's a hard, <laughs> yeah. that is a hard time. You know, everybody's popping, you know, ticket tenders and running down the street to get, you know, dollar cheeseburgers. And, you know, mm -hmm. you're pulling out a um, vegan bacon and mayo BLT, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's just mm -hmm. like, but was, again, something that helped me to put into perspective you know, um, what it is, what it was like growing up, looking at the neighborhood, understanding the concepts of food deserts and what you're able, able to, you know, put inside your body based off of what's available. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like if I would have taken a map, a density map of the fat, the Burger Kings, you know, the Taco Bells, the Kentucky Fried Chickens that were, that were in my neighborhood versus, mm -hmm. you know, I think we would go to the Whole Foods, which was like, mm -hmm. you know, four or five miles away. You mm -hmm. know, um, not everybody has the time to do that. Um, mm -hmm. Not everybody has the wherewithal to do that. So mm -hmm. again, like, I feel like my childhood um, and growing up was a study in examining contrasts and differences mm -hmm. and how those building blocks, those little pieces that form us, you know, how they combine to create the adults and the views that we hold and we share with others, you know what I mean? Mm, I love that. So where did the, the science aspect come from? Is that something that kind of was in the family or did it come out of nowhere? Well, my parents always said that um, you should choose a career that helped someone. Their, their words were, you know, we, we want you to do something that helps the people, you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. So whether that was a teacher, a psychologist, a therapist, a doctor, you know, biologist, you know, I went to school for biology uh, and science. Mm -hmm. I thought I would do pre-med, but ended up just doing general bio in chemistry. Um, mm -hmm. But that's where that, that whole idea came from. You know, I didn't even think of, um, I probably could have become a writer if I had, you know, thought about that as being a, a choice, which I'm surprised I didn't, I didn't as uh, my mother was a writer. Um, mm -hmm. She had written several books, both biographies and and fiction and she's kind of like my my role model now but um at the time it was like okay i the most the easiest thing i can think of is to get into science and do you know inventions and work with medicine or doctors or something i'll figure it out when i get into school and uh to some extent i never did figure it out you now we expect everyone to know what it is they want to do in society 
at such an early age when they're adults, mm-hmm. you know, fully formed mm-hmm. adults with three degrees walking around that don't know what they want to do with their lives, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny because I recently just shared something like, we often ask kids the same thing, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they're like eight, nine years old. And it's mm-hmm. kind of one of those things where it's like, how are they supposed to to come up with that? And how are we, why are we putting expectations on kids that they have no idea what that's going to look like? And that type of pressure, that anxiety, that stress is something that we tend to inflict on them, not knowing that they have all this world left of experiences. Yeah, it seems like your household, like you said, was very much um, aware and kind of turned on in regards to like issues, um, culture, background, etc. Um, oh, how does that very, very much so? Yeah, how, how did how did that play a role in um, I guess like being a father and being a husband? Play it plays and continue it continues to plays you know, a significant role, but from, from several, from several different angles, um, Mm -hmm. on the one, you know, you, or I am kind of aware, my wife and I, of, um, things that, you know, they might learn in school or things that they might not learn about in Mm -hmm. school. And we're able to, you know, take proactive measures to kind of supplement those um mm-hmm. whether that is bringing in books or attending events or um just generally talking with uh the kids about um world events uh and things that affect their lives and the lives of the students around them mm-hmm. um and then on the other hand you know i remember distinctly as a kid like not wanting you know uh, to to attend um, every single, you know, Sunday school that we had or whatever. It was like, why can't I just, you know, sit on the couch and watch cartoons, eat a bowl mm-hmm. of cereal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, why am I going to this event um, that celebrates the um, the life and accomplishments of Marcus Garvey, you know, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. there's a, a house party happening? And you don't understand that as a child that you're, you know, you're getting the groundwork laid for understanding how society operates, how it operated and how it operates to this day and why you are and why certain other people are where they are in society and how they are classified. But it's all recognizing and trying to strike that balance of, you know, I want you to understand what's happening in the world. Even if you don't understand it now, I want to plant the seed so that in five years, something will trigger and it, that that seed will sprout. But I also want them to understand that it's okay for them to be a child, to be a kid and enjoy everyday activities. You know, go play tag, you know, go ride your bike and then come back in and we will, you know, talk about the... Uh, prison reform you know what I mean it's it's, te- it's striking that balance you know what I mean mm-hmm. and how do you and my and I, another question I have and I'm going to talk about this with my wife often as well like as I'm growing up in a household where they um, share values they share things with you that are important um, and knowing that the times then are very different than the times now how do you determine what's different um, what you want to change or adjust from what you were taught or what to like now to the future to to maybe what you're trying to um, explain to your kids or have them kind of think about a little bit more um one thing i'll say that i can point to um definitively is that our understanding as a society um and specifically within the african-american community that has changed or has grown or we have become more aware of is this idea of one teaching strategies and two 
mental health and mm-hmm. understanding that there is no one way to you know, teach a child, you know, different Mm -hmm. children require different methods of understanding, but also that just because someone isn't receptive or receiving doesn't mean they're not absorbing, right? Mm -hmm. How we were taught or how I, how I was taught where if you didn't get it, you know, I'm thinking about schooling systems now and teachers, how Mm -hmm. if you didn't get it, you would just, you would repeat that over and over and over, you know, you would, the lesson would be repeated um, the only thing that might change would be the uh, the decibel level of the teacher's voice as she was mm-hmm. instructing you or he was instructing you. Whereas now we understand that students, you know, have different mechanisms of absorbing and understanding and digesting material. And so when my wife and I are working with our kids, it's, you know, it's real easy. Like I've caught myself on several times falling back into the old the old uh, parentisms of, you know, do this because I said so, right? You know what I mean? Which, uh, I mean, a lot of times it's just like, just do it. I know it's, you know, <laughs> we know, I know it's right and I know it's good for you. Yeah, just it do you. it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. where, and it could be, it could very well be like, we know don't touch, don't touch the hot stove. Just don't do it because I said, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to take that shortcut from, you know, giving instruction to them understanding that we never touch the hot stove. Whereas, you know, just for that example, if you provide context and mm-hmm. explanation and reason and discussion, um, there is a, a encouragement for students and children and adults, you know, because adults are constantly learning as well. There is an, an encouragement to interrogate why they're choosing to do something. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Rather mm-hmm. than just shutting it down like, no, we don't do that. Well, why don't you do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you're able to take that, like that whole critical thinking and awareness skills. Like that's what I'm trying to build in my children and the kids that I run into. Cause it's very easy to say like, here's why we don't do this. But then what have they learned? Mm-hmm. You know, what have the mm-hmm. children, um, what have the students absorbed? What have they internalized to apply in different other scenarios? You know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why I think you hear a buzz of like inquiry in the classroom now and just, having kids develop that critical thinking because there's they're going to be thrown questions and situations and experiences that we didn't have to think about or never thought about growing mm-hmm. up um, and specifically with jobs as well like they're going to be I think they always say like they're good they're preparing for jobs that we don't even know are going to exist so how are exactly. they going to solve those problems when they can't critically think for themselves right so I totally mm-hmm. I totally understand where you're coming from. Kwame, what do you like to do for fun besides writing, obviously? I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big reader. Yeah. Um, and I think just being, um, being in a relationship with a writer, my wife has become a re- uh, more of a reader as well. But uh, like, even before I knew that I would be a writer, I always, I would devour a book. You know, like I would, everything would shut down except for me, my eyes scanning that page. I, you know, I don't want food. Don't come holler at me about nothing. You know, uh, I'm right there. You know, the only thing that would change is my position on the couch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a big reader. You know, I do a little bit of uh, um, video gaming. I mean, I like to travel. Like, that's the biggest thing. Like, one of the biggest benefits of becoming an author um, and not every not every author has this privilege, and I'm very fortunate and thankful and mm-hmm. grateful that I do get the opportunity. Uh, it's to travel, you know, mm-hmm. it's to go around the United States, whether it's to different conventions and events, or whether it's to different schools who want to bring you in to talk to students, and uh, you know, get to experience and get to see 
um, that this country is not a monolith, you know? Mm-hmm. There is a, a diversity of thought and opinion that even though, you know, we like to shove things into a binary, you know, mm-hmm. it, is, it doesn't always unfold like that, you know? Uh, when you separate the blocks, the individual people out, like the conversations, the accents, you know, the idioms, the stories, mm-hmm. like they're all, you know, they weave this tapestry you know, um, in, in America and globally as well. And so, you know, I, I love to, if I could, my idea of a holiday is packing like, you know, I wouldn't, I, I'd pack like one change of clothes, the rest of the suitcase will be books, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And then I just travel the country, whatever, take the kids, mm-hmm. get an RV, you know, I feel like it's such an old, I, you know, it's such a, <laughs> such a, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm my father or something, but like, I don't know, there's a certain age you hit where you're like, you know what, an RV is a good vacation. Let's get mm-hmm. an RV and we're just gonna drive around and look at stuff. Mm-hmm. And like 10 years ago, I was like, man, that is whack. Like that is horrible. <laughs> but now I'm like, man, that is really appealing. You know, that is, I really like that idea. Agreed, agreed. And it's funny how a lot of those things are coming back. And I think it's not even just what we like, but I feel like kids nowadays are picking up a lot of things that happen many years ago and now they're bringing it back and it's becoming like a for lack of a better word like a cool thing again um Mm -hmm. and i think that's it's interesting but that's kind of how time works things continue to go into a circle which is nice well i think you know i I don't know if this is one of the reasons or not but i know it's getting really expensive to rent and to own a home so you get Mm -hmm. yourself an rv just split it with a couple friends you know what i mean and then Mm -hmm. you know you all are on the channel like you don't have Mm -hmm. to worry about um who's you know getting the uber to the club you drive to the club and then you sleep outside the club you're right there you know Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. y'all go three ways on an rv you know you're in town yeah it's all good it is it is so how how old are your um kids Kwame? we they are 11 9 and 5. Five, so three of them. So a good spread. Uh, you know, having them back to back, it's, it's. I mean, raising a kid itself, you know, by themselves is stressful. So, mm-hmm. you know, just, I can't imagine having, I mean, like two toddlers, like one toddler is like <laughs> the, the equivalent of four Kwamis. So like, I, I can't imagine having two at the same time. And what would you say um, has been one of the biggest challenges being a father? Oh, one of the biggest challenges to being a father. Um, I mean, that that's that's such a, it's an interesting question because you can go just very from a high level and just say like, you want them, um, you want to give them opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you also want them to not become insulated and not understood, stand what's happening in the communities around them. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's a, I know that's a decision my parents wrestled with. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we stayed in the hood, even though, you know, um, my, uh, my parents were like, you know, we could move, we could move if we want to, but we want to be with our people. Like we want to stay and remember and, and honor and, and pay tribute and try to help out where we came from, which is great. But you also want to provide some level of safety and comfort for your children. Like, you mm-hmm. don't want them to struggle like the way you did. So striking that balance. But also, you know, the other thing is, is that specifically, you know, with um, a marginalized identity uh, for us being African-American, it's like, when when do you have the talk, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, just from when you say, I'm going to have a talk with your child, like, you normally you're, you're thinking about the birds and the bees. You're thinking about, mm-hmm. you know, sexual education. 
But mm-hmm. like, there's a there's another talk. There's another talk you have to have when your body is brown. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you have to have that talk. And so it's like, well, when when is that? Uh, when is it appropriate? When will they understand um, and be able to process that and and be able to carry that burden with them through their life? You know, for me, mm-hmm. it was when I got you know harassed by a couple of cops back in Wisconsin. That's when, you know, my father sat me down and he pulled up a list of things, you know, how to behave in the presence of the police. And we had a conversation about it. But like, I don't know when to have that. Like, I have three girls. When do I have that conversation with my girls? Do I begin layering it in, you know, just subtly? Do I sit down? We just have a broad discussion about it. So, you know, it's it, when you're when you're a parent, it's tough. When you're a brown parent, it, you know, it becomes that weight. It just becomes really, really heavy. Yeah, it's just, I, I can only imagine parenting becoming harder, unfortunately, as times change and the world, like, evolves. Exactly. Just say, is that someone calling you? Yep, school's out, man. <laughs> awesome. Kwame, I just have a couple more questions for you, okay? Yep. Personal. 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 And I think I saw it on your um, on your website. And one of the things it said that you enjoy is Cheez Its. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. So wh- wh- where did like how did that happen? Tell me about that. Uh, I'm from Wisconsin, so I love cheese. I love uh-huh. cheese. And um, uh, with now, listen, as a scientist, I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna break it down here. Like there is, you know, there is a a wide and diverse array of cheese it. Uh, flavors and combinations, as well as texture, you know, whether it be the cheese it grooves where you get more surface area for the cheese flavor and seasoning to kind of layer itself on there, um, or whether it's the plain original cheese it's, uh, which are smaller, uh, more dense, you get more of them in the box. So it's a trade off. Um, but whether you're going with uh, the spicy taco flavor or whether you're going with uh, the, the cheese it duos, uh, where you might get like a Parmesan and bacon flavor. Uh, my personal favorite is the the white cheddar grooves. I feel like between seasoning power and oomph, they provide the most bang for your buck, and they're constantly on sale. Not everybody digs the white cheddar grooves, so I always am able to to grab a couple boxes of those. Uh, they're the perfect snack. You know, you grab one, you pop it in, you go. You know, it's uh, not as greasy as the average potato chip, but it still provides that satisfying crunch. Uh, so yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, uh, fan of the Cheez-Its, you know, I'm trying to get them to provide me with a sponsorship deal, you know, uh, cause I could take you, them to the next level. You just, that was amazing. Hey, I don't play no games when it comes to Cheez-Its. Now. I don't play no games. If, if they are looking for someone, I honestly can envision you, like, you know, the Old Spice commercial with the guy, yep. he's like, on a, that, I yep. picture you in, like, just literally in a box of Cheez-Its sitting on a couch and doing whatever you just did. <laughs> that was amazing. What other snacks what? do you like? <laughs> uh, what other snacks do I like? Um, I don't know. I have a big, it's a big, uh, I have a big salt craving, um, especially, uh-huh. I don't know why, but especially when I'm writing, like, I need something salty. 
uh, to kind of grab and snack on um, mm -hmm. while I'm writing. Um, I'd love to say that, you know, I, I slice up a couple apples or, you know, make, <laughs> a, you know, get a, you know, some grapes or something, but no, nah, it's, it's normally everything salty and crunchy, you know, mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. Cheese is at the that forefront. Um, maybe the occasional cheese nips, you know, which mm -hmm. are the knockoff Cheez-Its um, or even store brand Cheez-Its. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's it's Cheez-Its are, are, are option number one, two, and three. And then an option number four, it's like, well, I could either have another snack or I could just choose not to eat anything at all. <laughs> so you don't have a sweet tooth then? Not, I mean, not really. Like, I'll, you know, ice cream is great, but you can't really eat ice cream and write at the same time. You know, you gotta, you got one hand steadying the bowl, one hand with a spoon, or you're rocking the cone and everything's getting, you can't type while you're holding the cone. Mm -hmm. um, so no, I I, just, I go for optimum efficiency with my snacks. <laughs> optimum efficiency. I love it. I love it. And I, I can totally tell like there's a science to everything. A hundred percent, man. Like this is a, this isn't a game. I didn't you know wake up and was like you know hey let me choose a snack. Oh, cheeses are here. They're on sale. No, this is scientifically proven with <laughs> years and years of research to back it up. There's a methodology to this. That is amazing. That is amazing. Kwame, thank you so much, dude. I'm gonna like tag and contact Cheez-Its as much as pop. Like you, I think you've done it. I think this could be a thing. I really I do. Think, I listen, I, I, I kind of wish I would have, I mean, I don't have a, a video set up right now. I do wish <laughs> we would have had that on video because I think that could have gone, that could have gone viral. If you can, you know what I'm saying, chop up that sample, and, and we'll upload it, put it on something, put it on SoundCloud. Like I, we're uh -huh. we're we're gonna attack this from all angles. They're gonna, we they're gonna do. Make we could do that. I'm gonna be an influencer for Jesus. <laughs> oh, Kwame, thank you so much. That was so much fun, dude. Thanks, man. Thanks. I, that I was so that much was, fun. That was fun, man. I, I like talking about. Uh, I mean, I like talking about my writing, but I like talking about things that kind of uh, are on the periphery. Of, uh, of writing and just of me in general. So that was very mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. Cheez-Its. 100% verified brand manager, Cheez-It brand, holla at me, I'm your boy.